Amen. You know, we are flawless in Christ. Amen. Um, when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work at Calvary's cross, the Lord dresses us in the righteousness of Christ. Uh, I remember that uh, my pastor used to say that the Lord, our Father, our Heavenly Father, he sees us through the spectacles of Christ. So he sees us through Christ and what Jesus did for us. So what he sees is righteousness, flawlessness. He doesn't see a blemish in his bride uh, because of what Jesus did at Calvary's cross. So uh, don't listen to the enemy, what he may whisper into your ears about who you are or what you're not. Just know that the Lord accepts us and approves us in the beloved, which is his son. Amen. Isn't that great news? That's the gospel. Okay, so the sermon's over. Let's go home. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> you know that's not going to happen. So I'm going to have you uh, turn back to, uh, with me to Hebrews 1. I didn't really finish chapter 1 last week. We're going to start around verse 6. Okay. Let me set it up though. And let's see what we can um, gather from it. So let's go to verse 6. Uh, flip a couple. You see it right there. I don't know if it's behind me. Yeah, right there. Okay, good. So the... Uh, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers. These are Jews that had put their trust in Jesus. And most likely they were evangelized Jews. These were the Jews, the product of the evangelizing that was done by the apostles. So they had come to Christ, right? And what was happening that prompted the writer of Hebrews to... Uh, pen this book. It was that they were being pulled back into Judaism. So you have to imagine that you came from somewhere. You have a whole life in that system. Whatever that may be. Some people might be, uh, you know, traditions and rituals and ceremonies. And, I don't know. Some, some of us may have been Catholic or some of us may have been uh, Mormons or may, uh, maybe uh, may have been uh, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, maybe nothing. We had no, we had no beliefs, you know. Uh, like, like the world, you know, the, the only belief they have, if you really talk to people in the world, they don't have any real beliefs. They don't, a lot of times they don't even know what they, the foundation they stand on. So imagine living in Jerusalem, and no doubt that every time there was a feast, they would hear trumpets, they would uh, hear sounds coming from the courtyards of the temple. Uh, things that reminded them of their heritage and their history. They would smell the incense. Uh, they would see the lambs coming in that people would bring in for their sacrifices. And they were reminded of these things. And so they found themselves like wanting to go back. Plus, because of their declared faith in Jesus, because they had received Christ, they were being persecuted. And they had reached a place to where there were those who would say, I think it was better before. I think we're going to go back to the way it was. We have a tendency to do that as human beings. But the author here is trying to establish that Jesus and the new covenant that we find in the New Testament 
is superior to anything they may have had. So there are warnings in this book. So this is a book of warnings. And basically saying, if you go back to the old religion and the old rituals, if you go back to Judaism, you're nullifying, you're like canceling what Jesus did at the cross. He had no reason for him to have to come to the cross. But we know that that's not true at all. But that's what they were being told and some of them were running with that idea again. See, Paul says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus, when he went to, on that final night, up into the upper room and called his disciples to celebrate Passover, he changed it to the Lord's Supper. And he said, this is my body. So all of those lambs, all of those sacrifices, all of those traditions and ceremonies and rituals and things that happened, they were all pointing to Jesus. So that's the point of this book. Get your eyes back on Jesus, right? Don't complicate your faith. Don't make stuff up that's not part of the new covenant. Don't look at yourself. Look at Jesus. He's done everything for us that could possibly be done. There isn't anything more to be done because at the cross he cried out, it is finished. We don't have to do anything except believe. And that starts a whole new life, become new creatures in Christ. Whatever change or transformation that occurs in your life is because he deposits the Holy Spirit into your life and you have a new heart. So if you are producing something good in your life. It's the result of your encounter with Christ. So to dump that and go back to what had only could bring death. The law can only do one thing. Point out your defects, your shortcomings, and your sins and transgressions, all of your iniquities, without any hope of redemption. Because the law can't save you. There is no righteousness found before the Lord in the law because you can't keep it. I've said this before. Have you, have you ever lied? If you say you haven't, you're lying. Sir, you're already under the law. You're, you're condemned already. There, well, now what do we do? Oh, we've got to keep, well, I'm not lie anymore. Well, you can't not lie anymore on your own. If there's going to be a change, that's the fruit of the Spirit in your heart. That's been shed into your heart by God. When you accepted Christ and what he did for you at the cross. So this is the struggle that they had. So, you know, don't complicate your faith. Keep it simple because it is simple. And keep focused and keep it centered always on Jesus. This is what the Lord's telling me to preach. That's why I'm in this book. So I wrestled for a few weeks. Oh, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to do Colossians. Oh, no, I like Joshua. No, maybe I'll do the book of Jude since we're in the last days and things. No. And the Lord wouldn't give me permission and said, I want you to talk about my son. It couldn't be a better book to talk about Jesus than Hebrews. Because everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Everything in the New Testament is Jesus revealed. So, eyes on Jesus. Keep it simple. So, the book of Hebrews then starts with 
this uh, discussion, if you would, that was written about how that the Hebrews had the prophets. They had the Old Testament. And that's how they knew God's word and God's revelation. But now, the Lord spoke to us through his son. Right? So if I send a message to you through, uh, and this is no knock on George. If I send a message to, through you through George, you might like look at George and go, who are you? I mean, you're just Pastor Roberts, you know, gopher. Go for this, go for that. Not really, but you know, I'm just using an example. But if I send Sammy, maybe it's a little bit more important of a message. Because Sammy lives with me. Where was Jesus for all eternity? In heaven with the Lord. Who knows him better than anyone? Jesus is God revealed. Jesus is the image of the invisible God but now we see him in person. Flesh and blood. That's what the incarnation is about. Emmanuel. God with us. Literally. In human flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt actually means tabernacled. To borrow from the Old Testament tabernacle. God dwelt with the Hebrew children in the desert. And so he dwelt or tabernacled among them. But now that was just a picture of what would come in the future. A better tabernacle, if you will. Christ himself dwelt among us. The word. The word, the logos, the eternal one. So that's where we're at. Verse 6. The Hebrews loved angels. Angels are all over. Old Testament. Rescuing them, fighting for them, guiding them. Matter of fact, in the context of this book, Moses received his covenant with God in Mount Sinai through the hands or delivered by angels, by a multitude of angels. So angels are a big deal to Israel. Well, forget about the California angels. They, they're not very good. Right. And if you talk to people just about angels, aren't there all kinds of weird ideas? As a matter of fact, some people say, oh, my aunt you know, passed away and she's now an angel with, in heaven. No, she's not. It's not true. We don't become angels. We're God's sons and daughters. Begotten by the Spirit. So angels are a big deal and, you know, we live in a... Right, right, right before us, we live in the shadows of the city of the angels. Los Angeles. Right? Gosh, there should be more spirituality in L.A. I mean, after all, it's the city of the angels. But, as a culture, the Hebrews, made, they thought a lot of angels. Angels visited Abraham... Angels delivered Israel in many battles. One time Elisha was getting ready to battle against the Assyrians and he had his little helper with him. And he was all nervous because they surrounded the whole valley. <laughs> My goodness. We're just, we're nothing. And Elijah says, hey Lord, can you open his eyes? And he opened, uh, the Lord opened the eyes of the servant of Elijah and he saw the Angels surrounding the mountains ready to battle for Israel. 
It's one of my favorite stories. So angels are a big deal. So now in the New Testament, there's a new covenant. When we take the Lord's Supper, this is the new covenant. It's the old is adios amigos. It's gone. It only served to point us to Jesus. Now we're in Christ, which is a greater covenant. And he's greater than the... What? He's greater than angels? Yeah. Some sects, some groups claim that Jesus was an angel. He's the brother of Raphael. And I ask, I'll go look in the Bible for Raphael. I can't find him. I, go, I don't know who he is. Or Michael, or uh, also... Uh, Gabriel, you know, just distant cousin. No, he's superior. So let's say it together. Jesus is better than the angels. Yeah, that's who we serve, the one that's better than the angels. Okay, so from verse 6, I'm just going to read it, make some comments, and I'm going to just jump into chapter 2, just to finish chapter. It says, and again, when he brings, the, this is verse 6 up there. When he brings the firstborn into the world, which is a reference to Christ. Now, how is Jesus the firstborn? Well, he's the only born of, of the Father, but he's first in line too. In other words, he's the heir. Right? So, when he brings them into the world, he says, let all the angels, uh, God's angels, worship him. So, what did God's angel do as they consider Christ? What do they do? They worship him. So if they, if they worship Jesus, he, Jesus is greater than they, are, than they are, right? So Jesus is the object of angel worship. Makes him superior. Then it says, of the angels, verse 7, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. What's that saying? He's served by angels. Not only is Jesus the object of their worship, they serve him. They serve Jesus. Uh, interesting, they call them winds and fire. On the day of Pentecost, they heard a wind, and boom, the Spirit fell on them in a baptism of fire. John the Baptist is baptizing people with water in the River Jordan. All these people come, and then Jesus shows up, and he's like, whoa, I get to baptize you. Yep, it's It's necessary. Not that he needed any sins forgiven because that was a baptism of repentance. But he was standing in a place as a man, for man. Jesus is going to be the one who's going to go into the grave on our behalf. Who's going to die for our sins. So he's taking that obedient ceremony seriously because he represents humanity. He's dying for humanity. And what do we hear? He says, oh, the, the, uh, John the Baptist preached, hey, the one, you know, the, the, I baptized with water, he was telling his disciples and all those that would listen to him. But there comes one that will baptize you with fire. Right? So, he's served by the angels. And then this is in verse 8, but of the son he says, oh, this is a father saying in the Old Testament, your throne, O God. That's what he calls the Messiah. God, Jehovah, Yahweh calls the, this person in this verse God, and he's refer, referencing his, the Messiah, which is his son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So Jesus is God. Jesus is king. Angels minister before the throne 
he, Jesus sits on a throne. There's a difference, right? Angels minister before the throne. Jesus sits on the throne. So what else do we know about him? Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Well, Jesus is the righteous one. That's one of his titles. He loves rightness. Because that's what he is by nature. He's, he's good. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So he's above and beyond in the anointing. By the way, the word Christ, which is Greek for Messiah, means anointed one. So an anointed one would be someone that's set apart. Jesus is set apart by the Father for the role of Redeemer and Savior of the world. He's been set apart. They agreed, according to the book of Revelations, that Jesus was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the earth. They, they knew that the, the, what, the experiment in the garden would fail. But yet God would show His mercy to fallen man through His Son who decided before the earth and the universe forever founded that He would be plan B. Yeah, wonderful. He was thinking about us even before we were born. Come here, what the Lord is thinking about me? He's thinking about you before you even were born. He had plans for us before we even were born. That's the God we serve. That's the God that's revealed to us in the scriptures. That's the one they're speaking of right here. Goes on to say, verse 10, Oh, uh, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are your work and your, uh, of your hands. Jesus is the creator. He's actually the creator of, of the earth and the heavens, of the universe. They will perish. And he's referencing anyone else other than those that are part of his kingdom, his enemies, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. That's what my knee felt like this morning. <laughs> Go down the stairs. What was what that? It's not like I ran a marathon recently. Just stuff wearing out. Anyone can say amen to that? Just stuff wearing out. That's part of this life, but not him. Not him. He, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, your, and your years will have no end. This is a reference to Jesus. He's eternal. Jesus is forever and ever. Amen. That's who we serve. He's forever. He's forever merciful. Let's just put it in that way. He's forever in love with us. Forever protecting us. He's forever providing for us. He's forever guiding us. He's forever comforting us. He's forever in every way. I mean, <laughs> that, that's, that's the Bible. Say, keep it simple. Don't make it complicated. Accept it, believe it, and then you get to enjoy the benefits of the relationship of being a son or a daughter. Right? Verse 13, finally, at the end of the chapter 1, I'm going to jump into chapter 2 as fast as I can. When which of the angels has he ever said? None. What? Sit on my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet or for your feet. 
The enemies of Christ are his footstool. I don't think most of us have footstools. We don't sit on thrones. But I sit on my couch, and right in front of me is a coffee table. And it's just far enough where my little short legs can't reach. But guess what I do? I pull the coffee table toward me, and I prop them up there, and I sit there like a king in my own home. And the picture here is that that coffee table, I got it from Ikea, so don't worry, it wasn't very expensive. It's also wearing out right there where I always put my feet. That coffee table is under my feet. It's place for me to rest. That's the enemies of the Lord. What this is saying is that the angels, he's never said that to them, but to Jesus he says, hey, sit at my right hand. We know he's at the right hand of the Father because he not only died on the cross for us, he went into the grave for three days and three nights as prophesied in the Old Testament, and then he came out in victory in the resurrection. And then he hung out with his disciples for roughly around 40 days. And he taught them some more before he ascended into heaven. And where did he ascend to? Where is Jesus? They would ask the famous question that everybody would go, where is Jesus? Like, where is Waldo? I don't know. He's in the picture somewhere. But Jesus, I can tell you where he is right now because it fits the Old Testament type. And he's, at, he's, in, the, he's in God's throne room and what's he doing there, by the way? He's sitting there victoriously, ever making intercession for us. All he does up there in heaven, his role right now, is our great high priest. He's there to listen. And he's there to advocate for us that know Jesus. He's our abogado as it says is in Spanish. He's our defense lawyer. That's who we have, George. Right now, in this moment, that's what Jesus is doing. How can you not love him? It says that we can come boldly, in our, as part, it's chapter 4, I don't even want to jump that far ahead. We can come boldly into the, the throne of grace. And we can ask for help and uh, uh, and we can, we can know that he can be, he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. He can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's the only one that can say to us, I understand. He's the only one that can text us IDK, right? Or I, I, wait, IK, wait, I know, right? IKR, I know, right? Lord, it's, it's, it's a big toe on the right foot, it hoits. I know, right? I know pain. That's no wonder people answer Texas weird to me. I'm not even putting the right acronyms. You know? I think someone wrote one time, uh, I, I know, right? I-K-R. And I go, huh? What's that mean? So don't text me if you want to actually have a good conversation. What's Jesus doing in heaven right now? He's not watching football. He doesn't care the Rams win. I do, but he don't. He's not really too interested in the fact that it's one and one between Arizona and Texas in the World Series. He doesn't care. He cares about the people that may pray and ask, to, can I hit a baseball today far out of the park, Lord? I don't know. He would answer that. 
What's he doing right now? He's interceding on our behalf. He ever lives to intercede. And what's he going to do? He's waiting because God, his enemies are already like a footstool waiting for the Lord to send him back a second time to take possession of what's his and establish his kingdom. There's some things that got to happen first. Now, verse, verse uh, number uh, 14, are, not all, uh, are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Angels are servants for the, the Lord's business of salvation. Chapter 2, therefore, now because of all that, see that's why I spend a little bit of time on it. Because you say therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore? Because of, due to, as a consequence, because of what I just read in the first 14 verses, because of that, so we better understand what that is, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Because Jesus is superior to angels. He has a greater message than angels. And it says, lest we drift away from it. You can replace the word easily with the word slip. Lest we slip away from it. From what? From what we have heard. See, what we hear matters. What your pastor preaches matters. Especially as I go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, to put it in context and try to explain the meaning. Because then faith comes by hearing, according to Romans 10, and hearing the word of God. You can only increase in your faith by knowing what God has said. Because God's word is forever settled in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word, uh, jot or tittle will be missed of what I have said. What I have declared, says the Lord. And so, therefore we must pay att much att closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. For since the message declared by angels, see how the angel part comes back into chapter 2? What message? Well, the message that they declared, they were reliable in the Old Testament. But there's a greater one now in the New Testament than the Old Testament angels. And those were reliable. Those were trustworthy. And those Old Testament prophecies and words of angels were reliable. How much more reliable is the word of Jesus? The one who sent the angels with the message. So it's so important to know Jesus, not religion, not your stuff that does rituals and ceremonies and, and, and all activities and we can be so busy. No, it's important to know Christ. Because he's done it all for us. We can rest in Jesus. We're saved by grace. Through faith. Lest anyone should boast. I don't got nothing to boast about. I can't come up here and brag about how good I am at whatever it is. I can twiddle my thumbs faster than most of you. Big deal. It doesn't save me. Nothing saves us. Only faith in Christ saves. Well, goes on to say, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Notice how the Old Testament, the only decision, the only conclusion could, you could ever have was that your transgressions and your disobedience would receive a penalty. That was a message from the law. You're going to receive your due. So that's why you would run to the priest with a lamb. Every year, 
You're in and you're out to get your sins covered, not forgiven. In Old Testament, your sins are covered. They weren't erased. They were covered so the Lord wouldn't see them and he wouldn't judge you. And it was all waiting for the just one, Jesus, who would come. And then he would cleanse you from all unrighteousness, as it says in 1 John. Confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There isn't anything or anyone that could tell you anything about you where you can't say, forgiven. No one can bring up anything to you about your past and your sins because Jesus has erased them. Someone tells me about my failures, I go, really? That's nice. See you, wouldn't want to be you. Living like that, thinking like that. Trying to bring a man down over his past. What, am I the only one with one? We all have one. <laughs> he forgave us. He erased it. He carried it on his body at Calvary's cross. Right? Isaiah 53. He carried him away. Bar is east from the west. So then we see um, the warning. Just back to verse 1 real quick. Therefore we must pay attention, uh, pay much closer attention. M must, must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Lest we drift away from it. See, the danger exists of drif drifting away. Drifting away from what? From what we've heard. And listen to something else. So pay, pay attention to what we have heard. He's telling that, that group of people, and I'm telling you, the danger exists here because what he's saying about drifting, it's easily uh, synonymous with the word neglect. He's referring to neglecting the word that we have heard. What word? The gospel. The good news. Salvation through Christ. You don't need to go back to the temple. You don't need to light incense. You don't need to bring a lamb. You don't need to uh, listen to the, the sound of trumpets in the temple. That's, that's over. And matter of fact, in 70 AD, they couldn't even go to the temple anymore because it was destroyed. So where do you go if you have claimed and accepted Christ and now you're trying to go back to an old system? It doesn't even exist. Even today they don't have a temple. You, you can't go back to something that's not there. That's inferior. Because Christ is superior. Christ is better. In every way imaginable. Can't even say it. That's how wonderful he is. I can't even say it. So, let me tell you how it works. What's he talking about? It's like t a doctor telling someone that they have developed a lump and it's cancer. And uh, they got to have an operation. And that's the word that's been given by the doctor to the person who has cancer. And that person keeps postponing the operation. He's neglecting the word of the doctor. 
He's drifted away from the advice, right? And that person, finally, the day came when it's too late to do anything about the lump because they drifted away or they neglected the word from the doctor. That person had been warned. That person drifted. They neglected taking the, any action, and now it's too late. That's what he's saying. Do not neglect God's word. Don't put it aside. Uh, you know, Pastor, uh, you know, um, well, someday, Pastor Robert, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take... I'm going to take you up on your offer and, uh, uh, you know, I think I will listen to, to, the, to the sermon and to the things you're talking about someday. Well, someday that offer and someday that action on your part may be too late. That's what he's saying. That, remember I told you there were warnings in here? Remember I said that you had to consider the fact that if... The Lord said it. It must be important. So we must listen before it's too late. You never know. You might have a heart attack. You never know. You might get in a car accident. And you won't have tomorrow. You won't have a... a, a you lost it. You drifted away. That's what he's saying. You neglected. It's gone. Your chance doesn't exist anymore. Nobody knows tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Will you make it for Christ? Have you made it for Christ? Have you surrendered to him? Have you heard his word? Have you received him as your savior? And thus, also your Lord? You got to come in first through salvation. Then once you're saved, then he's Lord. Yeah. See, this was a word where it talks about drifting. This is a word that's had nautical Implication. In other words, this is for seafarers, people that were familiar with boats. And it's referring to the moorings, which is how you tied a boat to the dock so it wouldn't drift. He's saying, hey, tie your boat to the secure. Put out your anchor. Well, you know, and later in Hebrews, you'll find it in chapter later, chapter later, 12, uh, no, 10, where he says that Jesus is the anchor of our soul. So he's using a nautical term here. And he's saying, tie your rope around the moorings. Drop your anchor into Christ. He's the solid one you need in your life. Right? If not, you're going to drift right past the harbor and out to sea. And it's like the guy who was asleep on a boat on a beautiful day. And he finally wakes up in the middle of a storm and it's too late can't do anything about it anymore. He's in the middle. He could have before. And so, it's a warning and it's to secure ourselves in the truth of the gospel. This is what, in the truth of Jesus. It's we're to be careful not to drift out to see having ignored and neglected the serious things of our Christian faith. Not the silly things that most of us flesh will argue about mean nothing ultimately. But serious things like our faith. So there's an apathy. There's like a 
I don't care attitude. But the problem is we're not the masters of our time. So today, we're to listen to what we have heard as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and not drift, therefore. The drifting is because we've listened, with the lack of drifting is because you have your anchor set in Christ. So that's what these people were going through. They were trying to, so he says then, verse 2 of chapter 2, for since the message delivered by angels proved to be reliable, we said that already in the Old Testament, and every transgression and disobedience received a, a just retribution, then, you know, how much more uh, important would be to hear what Christ has said to us. But let me make mention of a couple of examples where the message declared by angels was reliable. Remember the two angels that went to Sodom and Gomorrah? They announced that that city would be destroyed if they didn't repent. And guess what? They didn't. And guess what? It was destroyed. That's an example of the angels coming. Remember the angels that announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds? What if they had said, yeah, right. Cool, dude. I'll get over there soon. I got some barbacoa I need to eat. They would have missed the glory of his birth. And, the, and, and having seen in human flesh. They would have missed it. Because they didn't what? They neglected and they drifted away from what they had heard. They didn't care. They were indifferent. So we know that the law was very reliable. It demanded uh, retribution for not obeying it, for disobeying it. So basically, if they... In the, in the past, if they took the word of angels seriously, then we must take the word of the Son of God even more seriously because it's greater. He's superior. And here's the conclusion of my message. The verse I told you that I love. Therefore, and because of everything I've said up to this point, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The word here, escape, or neglect, that is, not escape, but the word neglect is the same word translated in Matthew 22, 5. That was a parable that Jesus gave where they disregarded the invitation to the marriage supper. Remember that parable? They made light of it. They laughed and they mocked. So they had the opportunity to go to the wedding of the groom the bride and groom. They laughed at it. And it's the same word here, neglect. So it has a context. We know what it means. It describes the danger of neglecting your salvation. And isn't it a great salvation? How shall we escape? What are we escaping, by the way? I'll be honest with you, man. I, I, I don't like very much sometimes the the terms we use as Christians without us actually explaining things more. Like, are you saved? I'm saved. You're saved? Okay, uh, cool. Well, what are we saved from? 
And what are we saved to? Saved from to. Salvation is not just an idle word. It's not neutral. You're saved from condemnation because of your sins. You're saved from that to forgiveness. You're saved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You're saved from the kingdom right, of lies and the father of lies to the father of truth and faithfulness. We're saved from something to something. There's not never, oh, I'm saved. Because how shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Why is it great? Because we have a great Savior. He's superior to the angels. Because we're saved at a great cost. He paid a penalty that was huge. And we're saved from a great penalty. It's so great a salvation. That's what we have. Now you can say hallelujah. Amen. Amen? Yeah. It says here that um, we keep reading. I don't know if I have it. So how shall we escape or how shall we uh, be saved if we neglect such a great salvation? It's not a mediocre salvation. It's not like Jesus went and said, you know, I'm kind of I'm not really into this, Lord, Father. I, I, I'm going to kind of like half die. I'm kind of like going to half, have half of my beard plucked. You know, I'm going to do things halfway. No, it's 100% complete. Jesus totally committed himself to the plan of the Father. So it's a great salvation for that reason. And it says, it was declared at first by the Lord. What? The great salvation that we're talking about. And it was attested to us by those who heard. So someone shared it with someone else. So I was saying, these are second generation Christians. The original apostles shared it to someone, and then they shared it to someone, and then someone sent it, shared it to someone else. And here we are, Rialto, 2,000 years ago, because someone shared with someone shared with someone shared, and someone shared and shared and shared, 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 and shared and shared, and here we are getting the gospel from me. Isn't that wonderful? Look at me. God has got a good sense of humor. He would pick me to share it. So unworthy to share it. I'm going to do it because I heard of so great a salvation that has changed my life and yours. Right? And then we go here and it says it was attested to us by those who heard. And notice how hearing again is brought up. They heard. They weren't like the ones who earlier he says in verse 1 of chapter 2 the following therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So they did. And now we're there, verse number three. It was declared at first by the Lord. Okay, Lord, is that what you got to say to me today? Is that what you're telling me? Is that what they spent three years listening about in, his, in their ministry? Okay, we heard. Now that we heard, now what do we do? We have, and take it so others can hear. 
How are they going to hear it unless someone is sent? How are they going to be someone sent unless the Lord sent them? How are they even going to believe if there's not someone sharing, right? And so that's what happened. It's a kind of like a, one of those uh, pyramid uh, multi-level marketing schemes. But this one's real. Right? You tell someone and they tell someone and they tell someone. And all those people that they told benefit the one who originally told. Right? But in this case it's real because the benefit is salvation. That's why it's so great. And it goes on to say, so uh, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So God not only gave a message, he backed it up with power. He backs it up with power. What kind of stuff that happened? It says, first of all, signs and wonders, miracles, various types of miracles, healings, gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Got to use those gifts. If you don't use it, you lose it. But you lose, most importantly, the great privilege it is to serve Him. And to be blessed by him. So let's, let's bow our heads. Thanks for listening. Fa uh, Father thank you again. And our prayer is that we would not neglect. What we have heard. But that rather we would. Accept. What we have heard. And by doing so. We have received so great a salvation. Uh, a salvation father. Which we could never pay for. No matter how much money or how much we try to invest in our own efforts, in our own works, we can never ever earn it. We can't buy it. It's only available as a gift. And a gift that can only be accepted by faith. That's my prayer this morning. There's someone here who's never made that decision. They're wondering how this works. Well, that's how it works. That's how simple we put it. We hear, we believe, and by faith we cry out to you, Lord, knowing that you went to Calvary's cross on our behalf to die for our sins and that you rose from the dead. And in Romans 10 it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Knowing what you have done for them in your son Christ. Accepting it. Help us never to neglect. Help us never to just brush aside and nonchalantly di dismiss what you have told us. But let us heed. Let us listen. And let us apply, Lord, by faith, your word your words of life to our lives. To the, and by doing so, we're blessing our families. And by blessing our families, we're blessing our community and our church. Thank you, Father. You're, you're so good. And I, and I thank you, Father, for so great a salvation in Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to take our offering at the time. So thank you, thank you guys. Appreciate it.
All right, so um, the scriptures are pretty clear that we should give out of a cheerful heart because we understand that we're returning to the Lord really very little of the much he has given us. And by doing so, we're expressing not only our trust in him because uh, we're going to believe that he's going to continue to provide so that we can continue to provide, but we're also expressing uh, in a way of worship our love for him, because he's asked us to support, right? Support the work that he's involved with, amen, that he's doing. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you. Now, we don't have anything, Lord, that you didn't give us. So starting there, we, we just want to acknowledge, Lord, that you, you're the one. That every good gift comes from above. And Father, we want to be good stewards of what you've given us and we want to support this ministry lord here on this corner where the gospel is preached and we pray lord god that you would bless uh your word and bless those that are, are going to give and those that are going to decide how it's used we ask for you to be honored and for your name to be lifted up uh, in all our and uh, all that we do and we ask it in jesus name amen